This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Welcome to episode 94 of We Are Going Up. We caught you by surprise. We're a day early this week. Uh, this is Mark Crossley and alongside me, Karma Queen. Hello, mate. Is here. And, uh, well, it's just two of us in the studio again this week. Just, just can't, get, can't get the numbers these days, can you? Uh, we've got Jim, who's away or been away in Turkey. I think he's just got back. Been on international duty. He's, yeah. he's been on international duty. So we're hopefully going to speak to him uh, later in the show on the phone. And um, our good friend uh, David Cameron Walker is at Bestival as we record. Now, you were at Bestival with him this time last year. What will he be doing around about this point on a Sunday? I suppose, in theory, that's international duty as well. Um, sort of, well, yeah. he'll either be comatose in his tents after the weekend's finally caught up with him, or he he will currently be standing, I don't know what the weather will be like on the Isle of Wight, standing, waiting for Sir Elton John to come on stage, I'm sure will be excellent. Um, last year it was Stevie Wonder who had finished off the festival, and this year it's Sir Elton. So, no DC. Uh, so that means week. we don't have to mention a W word. We don't. We won't mention it at all this week, I can promise you, actually. Yeah. Uh, instead, we're going to, um, well, because it's International Week and there's not been as many... I suppose t- Sir Elton John... Yeah, because it's been the international weekend and there's been uh, less games on, we're going to actually turn uh, the spotlight on a team we have never covered on this show before, Mansfield Town, who are back in the Football League this year after five years away and they started pretty well. Six games in, all is going well, I think nine points on the board. Later we'll speak to Stephen Thurkill from the Mansfield and Ashfield Chad, who's a two-time uh, author and a football reporter covering uh, the Stags. So we'll uh, speak to Stephen later, but we're going to start... Um, in League Two and uh, down at the bottom where Hartlepool United have had a horror start to the season. Only one league goal so far, can you believe? They sit second bottom with only Accrington below them and they lost again at home 2-1 to Wickham uh, on Saturday and uh, on the line uh, to speak to us. I'm pleased to say we've got Nick Laughlin, who's the sports editor at the Northern Echo and uh, Nick, new manager in there, Colin Cooper, obviously struggling to reverse the uh, downward momentum of relegation. How big a task is it looking already to turn this around? It's pretty much a massive one at the moment. Um, yes, it is early days for, for the manager. You know, he's come in with a fresh outlook, fresh ideas, and it probably was a bit of a shock to some and to certain sections of support that John Hughes got the chop um, at the end of last season. Because, to be honest, the state pulls in when he took over. Marino, Ferguson... Whoever couldn't have come in and saved them that ravel from the drop. You know they're in that much of a mess and that much of a state. To be honest, it was a, it was a, an absolute bombsite the way the uh, the way it was going. He went. Colin Cooper comes in. Great pedigree. You know everyone in the northeast knows him from his time at Borough. You know he's been long hankering for a, the chance to be a manager. You know to prove himself as a number one rather than a coach or a youth coach. He's got this task, but it's um, like you said, it's proven a bit of a difficult one at the moment. Well, only thirty nine goals in the league all last season, so. In a way, you could see this coming, the lack of goals. Yeah, and it, even, you know, if you go back the season before last as well, in my report in, um, in the day's Northern Echo, you know, I've just sort of done the stats and worked out that since September the 17th, 2011, they've lost 25 home games and failed to score in 26 home games. <sighs> you know, so it's, it's granted it's only been £150 for a season ticket for those for this that's one, a good job. three seasons <laughs> so even then there's an argument whether that's been value for money <laughs> so why is that then I mean that must be pretty unprecedented I think amongst the football league teams to have a home record that poor yeah that poor over that you know that long a stretch of time as well you know every team can have well most there they can have you know two three four five even six poor home results on the trot but you know they've, they've had runs where they've gone eight games at home without a goal to that extent as well where and now that there's a, there's a seems there's a very much a mindset that when they do, if they don't score the first goal, they concede the first goal after 20 minutes, half an hour or so, 
and the body language just changes completely. It's heads down, confidence just drains instantly. The crowd start to get that feeling of here we go again. The players sense it, and then they spend the next 20 minutes, half hour, whatever, just scratching around, trying to come to terms with it and not being good enough to, to get an equaliser, even never mind turn it around and win. Yeah, Nick, looking at the squad, for example, that played Torquay in a nil draw the other week, there is the mix of experience and youth. People like Steve Howard, Andy Monkhouse coming off the bench, and then you've got players like Brad Walker, which will this will send a shudder down most people's spine, was born on the 25th of April, 1996, <laughs> which is actually three weeks. I had to look this up to find out the significant footballing date around then. It was three weeks after... Liverpool 4, Newcastle 3, the Collymore <laughs> goal, which is yeah. just absolutely, absolutely frightening. But the case remains, you know, he's incredibly long, young, 17 years old. So, for example, he should be full of enthusiasm. Yeah. Steve Howard has been there, done that. He's played in every division, basically. He's got been through it all. He should know, he should be able to lead the team. Andy Monkhouse has been there for years, be able to lead the team. So really, there shouldn't be a problem when it comes to, you know, issues like morale, should there? No, there shouldn't be, but you've sort of touched on one of the things, one of the sticking points there where you say, you know, I'm not naming it, you know, Andy Monkhouse has been around for years. And I think that's been part of the problem. There's been a, a, a wedge of players, a, you know, a number of players in the squad who've been there too long and the club's been loath to, to turn it round and, you know, move them on as such. You know, there was a, a massive change, if you like, last summer. Richie Humphreys was freed. You know, he's sort of player of the century, played 500-odd games for the club, part of the furniture. Um, and he was one of the handful of players who got released at the end of last season following relegation when really there should have been eight, nine, ten of them, you know, being scattered and moved on because as much as teams need to freshen up, players and individuals need to freshen up as well. You know, they need a new outlook, different change, change of scenery, different club, different teammates because there is a danger that, you know, players stay at the club for too long and they do get stale. I guess at the same time, though, the freshening up came on the managerial side of things with Colin Cooper and Craig Tegnett. I mean, John Hughes... Weirdly, I must bring this up. He was, I believe, one of the final few to take the... I'm a Swindon fan, to take the Swindon Town job, which Paolo Di Canio actually took. That's now, right, that could have been... Was. How history yeah. could have been so different. And I'm, I'm not, not suggesting Paolo Di Canio could be Hartlepool man. <laughs> uh, well, he's in the North East. Yeah, might be out of a job soon. Yeah, so he might actually yeah. be there. I'd like to see the odds on that. But Colin Cooper, along with Craig Hignett, you know, so two people who know each other very well. They've not been stuck together at random. From what you've seen, therefore, have they not really been able to make any mark so far on the team and on the, on the squad's ethos? No, because I think, you know, Again, going back to when John Hughes took over, John Hughes took over from a very, very low base. To be honest, you know the the team was desperate. You know, I've been watching them now, for, God, since 1979, and been reporting on them for longer than Brad Walker's been. You know, and last season was. You know, I'm sorry, I brought that up. Really <laughs> yeah, it made me feel older than me nearly 41 years there. Um, and you know, last season was an absolute disaster. You know, it stemmed from a long time before that. They brought Neil Cooper back as the club's manager, um, hoping to recapture the glory, if you like, years of when he was in charge first time around because when he was in charge in what, mid-early 2000s, uh, the team was flying, it was fantastic, it was happy days. Um, they brought him back hoping to get that spark back but he was just out of touch, lost, struggled to contain the dressing room with some strong characters. John Hughes came in and he galvanised them, he lifted them and he got them sort of evened out a little bit and relegation was inevitable. But then, yeah, you know, the new manager comes in, new coach comes in and they're just trying to... Sh- shrug off that mentality Colin Cooper's forever not badgering us but you know getting the message across to the press that it's last season's gone you know yeah well I was going to ask forward what, what's forward. he been liking what's he been liking interviews after all these this long run of goalless games um, he's fine he's upbeat he's positive he can see where he wants to go and where he wants to take them and 
you know, the club is very stringently sticking to the um, the financial fair play rules. And while plenty of teams flex them, bend them, and manipulate them to their advantage, Hartlepool United don't and won't. Um, the owners run a very tight ship. You know, they, they pump the best part of one and a half million pound in a year to keep them going and you know bankroll them if you like but when it comes to paying big transfer fees signing on fees agents etc it, it's pretty much a no-go um so colin and craig are having to you know i think he had five five of his signings in the other week um a couple of weeks ago which was a sign of progress and that they look better for it and he is developing or trying to develop a squad based on youth there's some decent young prospects in and he's getting players he's hoping to attract young players Lawn players from the other three yeah. northeast clubs. Well, I mean that's the obvious thing to, to go and do. You've got three big clubs around you, who, uh, for example, Newcastle, who's <laughs> probably got hundreds of players on the board. So if Sunderland actually given power to Canio's in charge now, they're signing the people left, right, and centre. <laughs> so the obvious thing is to obviously tap into the loan market. Well, that when does that open? That open about a week's time. The window doesn't the loan window. It's this. It's this, oh, this, this week. Is it okay? Yeah. I mean. Frankly, it's obviously goal scoring that is the issue. I mean, there's issues around the squad, but when, One goal when it in opens, seven games. Yeah, is. is it simply up front, or do then you need to make sure you still bring in lone players elsewhere? Yeah, well, they put five past Bradford in the GPT. Oh, I was going to come on to this. Yeah, <laughs> well, we'll talk about you know, this in a minute. Go on. Yeah. Um, you know, they can do it. It's um, what he's trying to do is not just go hell for leather and trying to get a striker in. He's trying to just get players in who will improve, develop the squad. Um, he's done that to a certain extent. Two lads from Middlesbrough who've, who've looked good. Uh, centre-half Christian Burgess and a centre-midfielder in Matty Dolan and they've certainly added something. Um, like you've mentioned, the emergence of Brad Waugh has been a positive. That's been good. But um, And there is a little bit of a fresher outlook, but he's been very limited in what he can do and it's more what he can't do. And you know, It wasn't long ago that he was... Peter Hartley left, went to Stevenage and before he left to Stevenage, Colin Cooper was basically asking through the press as such for Middlesbrough, Newcastle and Sunderland to give pools players for free. You know, send them to us. You can still pay the wages. We can't pay anything, but we'll develop them as footballers and give them first-team experience, which in an ideal world, that would happen. But in the brutal, harsh world of football and finance, it doesn't happen, does it? It doesn't. And uh, you did mention the, the JPT game there. I mean, l- looking at the results this season, the league games, 3-0 defeat at Rochdale, 1-0 to Southend, 0-0 at York, 1-0 defeat to Fleetwood, 0-0 against Torquay. Um, and then obviously Saturday's a 2-1 defeat but in amongst all that a 5-0 win against Bradford a team who were flying in League 1 was it just a case of Bradford sort of changing their team around entirely or what happened? Changing their team entirely I think they'd have changed like brought 11 fans to play on this basis I think <laughs> the guys Dom and Tom from the Bantams Banter podcast we speak to must have played I mean it must be very frustrating as well that result coming up in the cup Yeah completely and, you know when we spoke to Colin Cooper at his press conference last Thursday his talk was um, trying to rein the players in you know, and not let them get carried away by what they'd done and how they'd performed against Bradford to keep them on the straight and narrow. But then, sure enough, you know, it's the same routine, the same story. 20 minutes in, they don't score. They end up conceding, can't pull one back. And yes, they scored on Saturday, but it was only in the 93rd minute, that was 94, so it counted for very little, to be honest. And it was approaching nine hours or something in the league without a goal at that point. Yeah, well, um, the pool's record is stretching back to 1993. Um, 1,227 minutes. So on a few times in the last couple of seasons, they've been quite close to, uh, to eclipsing that, to be honest. <laughs> when, when does this, Nick, become uh, more of just a, you know, a worrying start to the season and then a really serious issue for the club? Because lest we forget, this time last season, Andy Thorne 
and John Sheridan have already lost their jobs um, in the football leagues and yet no one has gone yet Kevin McDonald Swindon did go just before the season started but no one has actually gone yet so when does this become a really serious situation when people think we need a change here in terms of management we need it now I think with Colin Cooper Craig Hinnett they've got to be given time because Pills have gone through too many managers in recent times um, you know from probably Colin I would say Colin Cooper is the first proper permanent manager Pills have had since Danny Wilson he was appointed in 2006 following relegation in the League 2 he turned them round Danny Wilson's a you know, cracking fellow proper football man um, knows his stuff inside out turned the club round got them promoted and I'd like to think that this could be you know, it's a similar similar base because since then they've had a director of sport in charge of the team. They've had a first team coach in charge of the team. They've never actually had until you know this summer's appointment a manager and an assistant manager in charge of the team. So they've got a bit of faith in them. You know, the owners they admit they've made mistakes in the past, but they can't. You know, they just cannot afford to to go getting rid of either both of them already because it's just far too early. You know, if come. February, March, then questions asked. Yeah, you know that's natural, but not yet. No, they've got to be given, given room to manoeuvre, given chance to develop. You know, wheel and deal in the market, get their own players and stamp their own mark on things and move on from there. Big game on Saturday already oh, on the fourteenth of September. <laughs> Bottom two in the league yeah. playing each other. Hartlepool against Accrington. If you can't win this game, then you are in trouble. Can you call a I game mean, in the middle of September a relegation six pointer? I think this is. I one. think it's getting towards it. Yeah. I got a text last night from one of my mates who said it was a twelve pointer. <laughs> <laughs> It's that big already. Um, I mean, lose and yeah, you know, you go bottom of the league at this stage. If this was a game in um, April and you're playing Accrington Stanley and you're, you know, at the bottom of the league, then it's a it's a six point, a twelve point, or whatever you want to call it. At the moment, it's a game that pulls just simply you know, have to win. I nothing more, nothing less. I suppose turn it on his head though and look in the positive side of things. A win against a team which, you know, if you can beat someone, you think you can beat Accrington, a win could be the catalyst you need to finally start picking up the league. Then the loan window will open and players may start to drip into the squad and who knows, in a couple of months you may be mid-table which will be, you know, a relative success given the start. Yeah, I mean, last week you could still get, I don't know what the price is today, but last week before the Bradford game, you get seven to one on pools to finish in the top half of the table, which, to be honest, I had a few quid on because I thought it was a decent little bet that at that place. Um, and it came in after the Bradford game. I'll have to check what it is now because it's probably going out at ten to one after losing again on Saturday. Um, but look, listen, they haven't been playing badly. You know, they've been architecturally on downfall to a certain extent at times. And when you're at the bottom, things don't go for you. Does as simple as that? You know, the Saturday they had a Burgess had a shot at goal from six yards. Midfield just stood two yards behind the goal and clears it. It's in. Referee doesn't see it. Linesman doesn't see it. It's no goal. If Poole score the first goal, they get the belief, the confidence, and they go from there. You know, they haven't been playing badly. It's just you know, daft mistakes, individual errors, if you like, and it's it's fine margins, isn't it? As uh, Tony Mowbray says, week in week, fine margins <laughs> with football games. I tell you what, that's isn't... what Poole's are finding. <laughs> it's never dull in the northeast with those four sides at the moment, is oh, it? The what? state they're no, all I in. Mean, no, I mean I've been sported here since. Um, on the Northern Echo since 1998 and the amount of managers and events you know big experiences big changes change rounds we've come across and that to deal with has been frightening it is you know just things just drop at the hat suddenly you know and it's include, not just including the four professional teams we've had the you know the big big the major demise of Darlington as well who went from yeah. the football league to the, the very bottom of the football ladder you know the 
the Northern League as such in uh, the last couple of years. So it's been it's been carnage at times to be honest, covering football in the <laughs> Well, Nick, thanks very much for coming on, and uh, well, we yeah, appreciate no it. Um, but before you actually, just before you go, tell us about the drive to Torquay. Oh, stunning, <laughs> stunning. Um, put me mate up. Um, left home at half past six on Saturday morning. Right. Uh, put me mate up. Uh, got to Torquay for about one ish, something like that. Nil nil draw. <laughs> set up at six. Got back home at quarter midnight. Well, hey. <laughs> Nick, if you want to make your money back on that, Hartlepool three hundred and fifty to one now to win League Two. So maybe worth a pound. Maybe you. not. <laughs> probably not. But you never know. No. Brilliant. If you can get ten, if you can get ten to one on a top half finish, go for that because that won't be a bad price. Nick, thanks very much for coming on. That's uh, Nick Laughlin, sports editor Good at one. the Northern Echo. And in just a second, well, we're going to stay in League Two. Right, let's move on then and we're going to take the opportunity as it's International Week to focus on a side that we have never ever covered on this show before. The reason being that Mansfield Town have been outside the Football League since 2008 but now, after being crowned Blue Square Bet Premier Champions last season, they're back and they're doing all right for themselves. Nine points from the first six games is a pretty good return uh, for Paul Cox's men. Uh, The latest point being taken in that 1-1 draw at Newport on Saturday and to tell us more about Mansfield's start on the phone, we've got Mansfield Town author and reporter Stephen Thurkill from from the Mansfield and Ashfield Chad. Stephen, thank you very much for coming on the show. Am I right in thinking that, am I right in thinking that most Mansfield fans will be happy with the start that they've made so far? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean obviously when you you know when you get promoted and you come to the new league, you wanna you know you don't want to get left trailing at the bottom, you want to establish yourself, get points on the board. Uh, and they've done that well. I, I think to be honest with you, there's a bit of a feeling of we've done well, but we could do better. Um, you know they've uh, they lost the first game of the season against Scuddy. They've not lost since, but they've drawn three of them games. And in all three of them games, really, they could have won. Probably should have won. And uh, obviously, you know, they had six more points than tally. They'd be sitting in second, just behind Chesterfield. So there's a lot of very encouraging signs, really. And uh, it's become a little bit of a sort of common trend in the last few years that the teams that tend to go up from the conference tend to stay up. What are the uh, expectations for Mansfield fans this season? Is it all about establishing yourselves or establishing the club as a, a league club again? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, Mansfield Town, as you said, they've been out of the football league for a long time, and uh, I think people in this area see Mansfield Town as a, you know they should be a football league club, and obviously getting relegated hurt. It, it took a lot of hard work, a lot of effort, and uh, you know, obviously a bit of luck to get promoted. But they did it in style last season. So this season, yeah, it, it's all about probably you know looking at mid-table finish, and, and you, you never know. I mean, I think the problem that Mansfield Town have got this season, they got they got up there because of Matt Green's goals. Matt Green gets sold mm. to Birmingham. The big question is who's going to Scott goes to Mansfield Town. Um, as I said, he's six games played, seven goals scored. If they had a better goal scorer, they'd have probably had four, maybe even six more points. Top scorer at the moment, Sam Kluke is on two goals. So uh, I think that's the, that's the challenge for the team at the moment. They've they've got a good spine to the team. They've got a, a pretty decent strength in depth. A good you know, and a good squad. It's going to turn them one point into three points. Well, let's stick on that theme, uh, Stephen. I'm um, talking about the team itself. The other 23 teams in League Two will listen to this, with perhaps the obvious exception of Newport County. We we'll want to know about the squad they will face this season. It's been obviously a few years what 2008 when you got relegated or Mansfield got relegated from the Football League uh, you mentioned obviously the departure of Matt Green to Birmingham and Sam Klukas yeah. I noticed he spent a lot of time with Glenn Hoddle at the Academy in Spain talk us through a few of the notable players who could mould Mansfield season you know be it up front in defence wherever you think could be the key points yeah well you've touched on it there um, obviously Sam Klukas is one of the uh, he's one of the main players 
as big hearts. Um, you know, Boss Parkox, he, he sort of put him in that bracket as a player that can follow in Matt Bean's footsteps, you know, and a player that can, can you know, can make it to championship level. Uh, and I know Nightingham Forest have been sniffing around him, sniffing around him quite, uh, you know, with a lot of interest. He set himself a target of 15 goals for the season, and if he could reach that, then that'll be a, a massive help for the team. Obviously, every team needs a good uh, a good goalkeeper. Manchester Town with uh, Alan Marriott, they've got that. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's a player that's done it at this level before, and very experienced. And you know, you you, you look back to the uh, the game that they won against Wickham. Um, you know, they won one 0 and Marriott nil nil. He produced two or three really good saves just before half time, and uh, obviously that's how I'm going to to win uh, win the game. So he's a quality player, Klukas. Clements in midfield, he's he's you know he's got a bit of skill about him a bit now. He knows how to spray that ball around. Maguire also in centre midfield from uh, Fleetwood, he's got a lot of experience at this level. So I think that's the key really. There's a lot of they've got a nice blend of sort of you know youth and experience. It's just um, hopefully the experienced players can bring the younger players on like Oli Palmer, Klukas, and uh, you know get the best out of them and get a few goals. And if, if they find goals, I really do think Manchester United can challenge for the playoffs. I was going to ask you about uh, Oli Palmer because you mentioned the, the need for a goal scorer, a green going. He was uh, top scorer in the Conference South for uh, Haven and Waterloo last yeah. season. Twenty five goals. He's got fifteen goals the season before that. Uh, so he's obviously got goals in him. And um, what's he looked like since he's he's come in? Yeah, he's, he's looked decent. Um, I mean, he scored against uh, he scored his first goal against Wickham, and that meant the world to him. It's um, it's early days, I guess. Uh, for you know, few still cliche. He's trying to um, get get into the team ever so slowly, and for sure, Paul Cox is uh, protecting him a bit. He picked up a bit of an injury in in a behind closed door game, and um, so he's sort of been coming on the sub and you know starting half, you know coming on at half time and things like that. But he he showed what he can do, and I think he just needs to get a few more goals under his belt. You know, once one comes, then another comes, then then hopefully they'll come. And you know, I spoke to him after the uh, Portsmouth game. He's uh, he's a player that does believe they can challenge, and he said said the same really. He's turning them into wins and then just getting the goals and hopefully he can be the man to do it I think for a lot of people listening the uh, the only sort of thing they probably will have seen in Mansfield in the last few, last few years uh, was the uh, the cup game against Liverpool um, yeah. and tell us a little bit about the sort of brand of football that they've they've got there and the brand of football that got them promoted uh, was it sort of pretty direct was it a combination of direct yeah. and on the floor I mean what was the, the formula that worked so well because it was a, an exceptional season and a very tight, tight uh, title race last year yeah, we were a fantastic run. I mean, that, that Liverpool game was basically gave them the catalyst, I think. They were the start of the season, quite similar to this, actually, quite a lot of draws and, uh, you know, just not being able to close games out. They went into that Liverpool game, gave them a real run for the money. We all know Suarez handballed it in, denied them, and so they, you know, returned to a, a replay at Anfield and uh, it gave them the confidence to kick off. They barely, they barely even dropped a point from that point on. A lot of the criticism they got really was it was quite direct. Matt Green, he, he's good, you know, in the channels, he's got power, he's got a bit of pace, so it was a, a lot of balls over the top and into space but you know end of the day it's effective Manchester Town's back in the football league mm-hmm. because of it and uh, you know you can't criticise them too much for that because it's a results business um, I, I think that's the difference you've seen this season obviously Matt Green has, has gone they're not quite able to do that it's a bit more balls into feet and a bit more you know getting it out wide and a, a bit more Finesse, I guess one of the better words and a bit more skill but um, you know he's a, he's a manager Paul Cox you know he plays for the strength of the players he's got and as I say you know it works fantastically and what a great run it was you have to feel for a kid missing out but you know brilliant for Manchester Town to thoroughly deserve it last season Do you think mentioning that do you, do you really think there is quite a difference in, in the jumping quality from the conference to, to League 2 it's almost cliche to say it but you think of the likes of Stevenage and, and Crawley and Fleetwood did alright last time around of trying to yeah. get the so called double bounce I mean Paul Cox is a man who you know he's not managed in the Football League yet his you know his 
actual footballing career itself wasn't particularly glittering. So can Paul Cox adapt to football league, do you reckon? Has he got enough nous about him? I think so. He's a very savvy manager. and I mean, you, you've only got to look at the Mansfield made, you know, six games played, nine points, that's pretty good. Um, uh, There's sort of the gap between the two divisions. Um, I don't think there's a massive amount. You just look at the league table now, you've got Wimbledon in third and Fleetwood in fourth. Newport's above Mansfield in ninth, you know, all teams that have come up fairly recently and all teams that, uh, you know, they've really established themselves in this division. For Paul Cox, I think he's got he's got time. He's got, this is a season for establishing Mansfield Town. I mean, if next season that they'd be struggling and they sort of in a relegation battle then perhaps questions could be asked but he's got a very good chairman they've got an excellent relationship and you know you look at, at last season Mansfield Town quite um, just after Christmas I think they were still outside the playoff before they went on that magnificent run and you start to think then well this is a team that should be winning the division and this is a team that uh, you know six, seven, eight in the league and not doing very well might not even get the playoffs but um, you know Rastad stuck with him all the way he gave him the confidence he gave him the belief just to you know do what he does and just get on with him managing the team and the rewards are there so I, I don't think there'd be any worry if uh, Mansfield won, uh, lost four or five in a row that uh, Cox would be uh, under much pressure and he also gave him an 85 grand Aston Martin as well didn't he yeah, <laughs> so yeah it's nice, nice work if you can get it exactly so, presumably, presumably if he does come off with a, a 9-0 victory he'd get him what like a Bugatti <laughs> Veyron I'm trying to work out of a car that might be more expensive well, tell, tell, yeah. tell, tell people who don't remember that story what that was all about that was against Barrow wasn't it yeah again, against Barrow they absolutely uh, thumped him and uh, at half time um, Rathbun just said to uh, Cox you know, if you win by this score I'm going to get you uh, this car and it, it came off and uh, I think you were a bit shocked when he went outside after the game and uh, <laughs> that car in the car park I mean I think we'd all like that for a boss wouldn't we absolutely fantastic <laughs> definitely yeah um, talk to us about Radford then because he bought the club three years ago back in 2010 he's had a fair bit of press actually uh, there was a thing on the Football League show a few weeks ago yeah. where Clem came up and there's been a lot of attention because of course his wife works there as well doesn't she um, tell us what he's like as a chairman and what his ambitions are for the club oh very very high ambitions I mean He's a, he's a very good chairman really because I say he's, um, you've gone from the Haslam regime where you know absolutely hated by the fans and uh, sort of the community seems to be pulling away from Mansfield Town and uh, obviously the, you know, the team's fallen down to a, to a very lowly level and slowly but surely they're coming back up uh, and that's because of structure and the stability that Radford's put in place you know he's, as I say he's stuck by Cox through difficult times he missed out to York the season before last in the playoffs he, he stick with him there and he stuck with him throughout the season and he, he's you know he's done the business with Doncaster and I, I spoke to him after they uh, got promoted after they won the league and his aim was we want to see Mansfield Town in the championship and you think well yeah right is this you know Mansfield <laughs> Town in the championship but then people would have said the same with Yeovil you'd have said the same with Donny there's a lot of teams you know look at Stockport now oh, no, <laughs> the level exactly. they've fallen but at some point they're a championship team so th- th- there is potential there I think one of the problems for me for Mansfield Town is this, they've got Forest on the doorstep and attracting enough fans into the one call mm. um, to take them to that level is hard because it's it's a night on Forest area people will go and watch Mansfield but the Forest fans and that, that makes it very hard but you know behind the scenes they're looking at getting a, getting a new training ground and you know they've got um, new suites under the um, you know under the stand for like education facilities and you know and uh, sort of confidence and things like that just all about getting the community part of Mansfield Town again and uh, for you know for a, for a town like this and a smallish club like this that's a that's a vital element of, of what they do and uh, yeah you, you can't you can't fault him really. And I know it's early days, but if it carries on like this for Notts County, they might be in the same division as Mansfield next season. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, that'd be a game for a month. I mean, in uh, in two weeks' time, they've got the derby that they want, but they're uh, away to Chesterfield. And uh, but yes, yeah, so it could get a play Notts County as well. It'd be nice to see Mansfield on a par with them. Uh, so often they've been the lowly neighbours, and it'd be nice for them to have their turn. And finally, uh, just before we uh, we sort of uh, let you go, Stephen, I know you're actually a Huddersfield yeah. fan yourself. Yeah. Um, tell us what you made of Huddersfield start to the season while we've got you on. James Vaughan's banging the goals in. Oh, he's a he's a cracking player. Isn't he? I mean, the signing like that was uh, instrumental. Obviously, we had Beckham as well last season, and we did manage to return him. But Vaughan needs to come back a, a, an even better player. And uh, I remember last season, you know, I think it was seventy eighth minute of the game, and Town were actually, you know, we were getting relegated, and then we scored, and it was Barnsley going down. Ama- amazing game that was. But I think they were you we started our. Uh, were you, at that, were you at that game? Yeah. Tell us yeah, what the yeah. last few minutes was like then, where the, the two goalkeepers were just keeping the ball in the penalty area, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've never seen anything like it, really. I always remember what, when, uh, many years ago watching a game of Italian football where a team needed to win the league to... Uh, they needed a point to win the league, but the team needed a point not to get relegated, and then just tippy tapped it about. And then to actually see it for real like that, it's just absolutely amazing. Townspeople just walking, around, you know, walking around the eighteen-yard uh, box with no intention of of doing anything. Everyone in the stadium, we are staying up all chanting like boss, that's a fan, and then Yorkshire, Yorkshire. It was just, it was <laughs> one of those things. I, 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 I guess you yeah. must have thought for a point. You thought, well, hang on, I've paid money here, and I'm not actually watching football. And then you realised the ramifications of actually, yeah, yeah but I don't uh, want to watch football. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I just uh, I think everyone in the everyone in the stadium we were happy. With. I think the ninety second minute with Barnsley were going down until Palace scored against Peterborough. And that's football and sport. It's very best. It was all the drama, the emotion. It's why we all love the game. Something like that is fantastic. Exactly right. Well, uh, thanks very much for coming on, Stephen. Enjoy the rest of the season. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks very much. That's Stephen Thurkill from the Mansfield and Ashfield. Chad, right now it's time for another edition of My Club. We give a fan of a different football league club 125 seconds each week to tell us all about their time as a fan. And this week is the turn of Charlton Athletic. This is We Are Going Up. My club in 125 seconds. Hello, my name's Ollie Gordelia and my club is Charlton Athletic. OK, Ollie. so can you remember your first game at the Valley? Yeah, my first game was in 98 uh, against Derby and we lost... 2-1 and uh, the best moment you've had following Charlton in all these years bizarrely I'd probably say winning League One about two years okay. ago um, I was going to ask who is your best manager but I guess that's probably Alan Kerbishley so what is your most memorable moment in the Alan Kerbishley years uh, I'd probably say when we finished in 7th place in the Premier League in 04 and in amongst all of that who's your favourite player and why even though he left in difficult circumstances probably Scott Parker He's, uh, he's, he's, around, he's around the block. He might be coming back at some point. He seems to be making, <laughs> yeah, making his way around all the London teams. Uh, tell us about Chris Powell. What have you made of him as a, a Charlton manager? How good has he been? He's been pretty inspirational, considering he took over down in the dumps and now he's gone up to the championship. Hopefully he can go further. Your favourite Charlton Athletic goal next, please, Ollie. Uh, off the top of my head, uh, there's like a 30 yard screamer from El Kakuri against Arsenal. It was in about 05. I think there are others, but that's the first one I think of. What are your realistic hopes for the season, Ollie? Uh, at the start of the season, I said about 12th, 13th, so um, anything uh, around there is fine, to be honest, considering we haven't spent any money. So. Tell us, was the pitch against Doncaster playable or not? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, your worst moment following Charlton and all the years you followed them? Probably our second relegation in three years when we went down from Championship to League One. And who was your manager then? Uh, Phil Parkinson. And what did you make of him? He wasn't bad. Okay. Was Al- who was the he- worst? Alan Pardew. Uh, <laughs> 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 Knew we'd get a mention at some point. <laughs> right, that's it. Your time's up. Ollie, thanks very much. 
problem. My club in 125 seconds. We are going up. We've got the Football League covered. Right, so we'll have another one of those on the show next week. And right now, Carl, just me and you, but it is time to round up our little sort of 10-point bulletin from what's been going on uh, in the Football League over the last seven days. And uh, Nick did bring up the topic of agent fees, didn't he? Um, in that little yeah. conversation, said that Hartlepool had not spent a penny on agents' fees in this new report and uh, the Football League in 2012-13, which has just been published. It's quite interesting reading. Who are the uh, the big the big spenders, as it were? Yeah, the big spenders. Well, it's, one stands out alone. You probably wouldn't have to take too long until you guessed it in Blackburn Rovers. Three and a half million pounds. Staggering. Spend. I mean, obviously, when you think about the eight million acquisition of Jordan Rhodes, which you know would no doubt have a decent chunk within that. So it's a controversial one. Well, but they're, they're way ahead of second place, Cardiff City, 1.8 million, who, of course, you know have gone on to uh, rather grand pastures. Third? The third's uh, Wolves. I mean, the t- Crystal Palace are also in this list in the top, and so are Hull. So arguably, there is argument these, the money is ultimately well spent. You know what that um, that list was missing, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> we needed a little chart music. Uh, the teams, yeah, though, that haven't spent a penny on agents, and we commend these teams, uh, Blackpool, not a penny has gone to an agent uh, last season. Well, that's, Blackpool. that's you know, not surprising, given, I suppose, Carl Oyston. Yeah, the, exactly. Crew, crew, their focus on youth, I suppose, yep. don't make as, as much sort of transfer business as other clubs do. Hartlepool, as we mentioned, and also Accrington Stanley, AFC Wimbledon, Barnet, and Morecambe. All teams, of course, who are never going to be big when it comes to financially, uh, never have been, probably never will be. Um, teams like Morecambe don't even have an academy. Barnet, of course... Yeah, we're now out of the Football League. Crew is an interesting one, given their incredible over-alliance, but at the same time, their success with youth as well, which is something that teams perhaps could focus a bit more well, on. It's well worth having a read of that PDF, if you're interested. It's the, on the Football League website, summary of the club transactions and agents' fees paid uh, last season. And sticking with money... Portsmouth, this preposterous list. I'm sure a lot of you might have seen on Saturday. We retweeted it from John Ashton that we had on the show didn't we, last season or the year before uh, from The Guardian. Uh, the money that Portsmouth still owe to some of their former plays. And this is a staggering list. Uh, just hit us up again with some of the numbers. Well, where do you start? Um, let, let, let's remember, of course, where Portsmouth were just a few years ago, winning the FA Cup, playing AC Milan in Europe. And now they find themselves where they do. And the players on this list, there are most, if not all, their big names. There, you've got okay, David Nugent, <laughs> Mark. I'm sure you'll still accept he is a, still a big Great name. Man. David James, Carnu, Ben Jarney, Hayden Mullins. The list goes on. You have people like Chasaklep, you know, somebody who's played fairly recently for him. Ricardo Rocha, Herman Horidas, and everyone basically who probably played within their Premier League team and the team in the Championship as well. And it's the the figures are the staggering one as well, but they over money. Stuff like, for example, they're owing lump sums of £200,000 to likes of Michael Brown, Liam Lawrence. And then on top of that, for example, Liam Lawrence is owed 40 months worth of £10,400. Tal Ben Haim is owed £1.633 million, a lump sum of £650,000. Which has just gone out. Yeah, which should have just gone out into his bank account, so that'll pay for Christmas. and uh, <laughs> Actually, no, he's Jewish. That'll pay for Yom Kippur. <laughs> and uh, then £150,000 in um, end of August next year, then 40 months worth of £20,800. Dave Kitson, eleven and a half grand a month they're paying him. He pays for, plays for Oxford now. <laughs> As you say, Hayden Mullins, 21 grand a month. Michael Brown, nearly seven grand a month Ben Gianni five and a half grand a month on top of the players they've got at the yep, moment exactly one would one would assume a couple of the players people like David Nugent are still playing at a decent level they might waive some of the payments for example which will no doubt help well, Portsmouth out but at the same time that's that's not a given 
So this no. money will you expect have to be paid? Well, we mentioned this basically as an example of what a ridiculous situation Portsmouth find themselves in, and we just hope that no other other club will find themselves in a situation quite like that in terms of owing that much money. It is astonishing. Uh, let's move on to slightly more... Well, I don't know. Is this a positive or not? Let's uh, talk about Coventry. We seem to be a bit of a regular on this 10-point uh, bulletin. <laughs> uh, they um, won again 2-0 against Colchester on Sunday on the day of recording, uh, but only, only in front of 1,789 people at Sixfields, which is their lowest ever recorded attendance in the league, their lowest ever. But on the field, they're doing superbly. It's only yeah. taken them a month to turn around a negative points tally. They're up to, uh, I think, plus two now they're off the bottom of the league Notts County bottom of the league haven't even uh, been deducted any points and Coventry have overtaken them and this uh, staggering record of uh, eight goals in five games for 21 year old Callum Wilson what a start to the season he's made absolutely and he's someone that will have taken his chance a young player Coventry you know financially struggled so they're going to have to rely on a lot of youth this season uh, and he's he's scored you know several goals already this season, and we'll no doubt hope to uh, continue that vein of form. And Coventry, I mean, credit where it's due. Let's worry about Notts County another day, for example. Now, well, Stephen Presley must well, get a lot of credit for them. Absolutely, and you know, the the statistic about them having the lowest ever attendance is, I guess, an anomaly. But it will be something that will no doubt be maintained throughout the season, or as long as they're at six fields. The next game is. Uh, next home game against Gillingham. Uh, I guess, but, you know, it's not too far a journey for Gillingham. I'm trying to think of it as a, a game where the away fans may not bring many but it's fans interesting. Either. It's interesting the fact that they're doing really well on the pitch, but yet the fans have not been tempted to go, which basically sends yeah. a message to the club I, that I, no matter how well we do, we are not going to Northampton. Yeah, absolutely. And given Coventry's start, who knows where they could actually end up this season if they don't get any more, you know, points deductions. And I was trying to think, would this be a, a relatively wise comparison to compare it to Card? City last season when fans supposedly stayed away and now all of a sudden they find themselves in the Premier League doing exceptionally well and you look at the game of course against Man City a few weeks ago where they sold out and there were a lot of fans wearing you know, red shirts for example and then some wearing blue shirts I just and, don't get the same uh, feeling with this uh, it is different but in terms of fans staying away and what, what impact it can make obviously this is this goes much deeper and financially it's more problematic well, than it was at Cardiff but uh, Stephen Pressey's not letting it affect the squad no, in the home exactly. games which and, is uh, which is good. We've talked about how he's managed before, you know, with financial difficulties and irregularities Falkirk, yeah, yeah. up in Scotland. So credit where it's due to him. Of course, it's difficult because of the young squad they've got. It may mean a couple of defeats and all of a sudden that morale is turned around completely well, and they find themselves having a very long season, which I think a lot of fans will have been ex- expecting a long they've season They've certainly, certainly started off better than anticipated. I think that's fair to say. Sticking with uh, supporters and the issue of fans, uh, DC can probably tell us more about this next week because he was at the Bristol uh, derby in the JPT, but really disappointing to find find those scenes uh, of trouble at the end and Sean O'Driscoll you could tell was really really disappointed about it he was like I understand it's a derby and you know fans have got uh, there's a a rivalry here but it's the first round or second round of the Johnson's Paint Trophy. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what DCW says when he's back next week. People play, just play got drunk game. and carried yeah, away, I think. You're going to play a game in the evening. Um, you could always ban alcohol from the stadium, full stop, which might help, but adrenaline will often get the better of people as well, I suppose. So <laughs> These are some of the reactions in the crowd when the uh, second goal went in. It's I like know, they just won the cup or yeah, something. Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it is a big derby. I mean, they don't and play each other very that often, yeah. often, I suppose. So, you know, the chance... For this you know, is pretty rare, but even still, it's just, yeah, again, it's a lowly game in the Johnston Paint Trophy. Football fans being pathetic, I'm afraid, is what is the case. Well, we're still hoping to speak to Jim at some point here before the end of the show, so let's rattle through a couple of uh, quick points. Uh, AFC Wimbledon, three wins. Uh, in a row, Michael Smith has got four goals in his last three games. They're up there right at the top of League Two, which yeah. wasn't necessarily expected after the uh, 
Uh, the struggle they had only staying up on the last day of the season uh, in that massive scrap when they beat Fleetwood at home. So really good uh, things happening down at Kings Meadow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no one would be expecting them to be where they are. And, you know, no one would be expecting it for them to maintain it either. Uh, with Neil Ardley, they've obviously got someone synonymous with Wimbledon. That's what the fans want, given their you know recent history at AFC Wimbledon. And he, he naturally has come out and he said he's not going to get carried away. You look at their fixtures coming up, obviously big game which they played against York in terms of you know a team they'd expect to be on a par yep. with this season but Chesterfield Cheltenham Burton all coming up and you know, Tough. to expect to get anything from Chester- those Chesterfield games. have had the best ever start to a league season they only yep. beat Accrington 1-0 which we might have expected mm. uh, to be a slightly higher scoreline but Chesterfield going brilliantly in League 2 uh, also uh, in League 1 another team going brilliantly are Rotherham United quick doff of the cap to them uh, because they've beaten both Sheffield Wednesday and Sheffield United now this season Sheffield Wednesday yeah. in the Cup Sheffield United in the League they could probably say Okay, ignoring Leeds. Uh, the best team in Yorkshire. Yeah, for um, a bit of Yorkshire, yeah. And flying uh, in League One. So really, well, I was going to say really good to see, not necessarily the biggest fan of their manager, but good to see a team that had, had Is such, anyone? So had Is such anyone? a terrible... Rotherham fans a big fan of Steve Evans? I think they probably are now. They've had such, yeah. such a terrible run in, uh, in League Two the last few years, so it's good to see them finally enjoying uh, some good times. Uh, I mean, talking of flying, if we want to go mention another point in League One before you move on, let's talk about Bradford Brentford and uh, yes. David Button what a flying off. out of his area I've seen Formula 1 cars go slower this weekend <laughs> absolutely incredible here is a man um, uh, David Button I know that name and that's because he's had 11 loans moves in three years between 2008 and 2011 he's now found a permanent home at Brentford um, he'll miss a couple of games incredible uh, for those who haven't seen it just flying out of his goal and he, when at what point did he think well why am I doing this and then making contact to the player the, the guy naturally flew over well, Bradford's Bradford's uh, well, 4-0 win it was after that yeah. wasn't it against Brentford and the 100% record at home so far yeah. so Bradford and Rotherham two of the promoted teams from League 2 started off brilliantly in League 1 uh, which makes things interesting uh, quickly before we go on to the I know you want to talk about the uh, the managerial sack race quickly yeah. before we do that great goal by Alex Pritchard for Swindon yep um, if people are going who's Alex Pritchard um, don't worry he is from Tottenham Hotspur um, <laughs> we have got him on loan I believe that's his first ever career goal actually um, well it was actually stand corrected you would have thought it would have been a left footer's position actually, from where it was but he if, took it with his, obviously the right footer in fact yeah goal. that is his first uh, league goal because in fact I saw him score a goal against QPR I was stood there watching him uh, yeah incredible free kick um uh, the sending off the second half of that game it was obviously televised so a lot of people might have actually watched it uh, this weekend uh, the second half was a terrible half of football really really not a good poor, poor, uh, first half. poor decision for the disallowed goal as well I know it went for Swindon well, but... well yeah I mean George Baldock disallowed for offside um, he was an offside but there was someone else who was who arguably was you know obstructing the view of West Fodringham in goal for Swindon uh, Swindon would take a point I've actually been quite impressed from what I've seen actually in the Mark Cooper a man who I must admit, I wasn't really expecting many good things from no one was really, but I was chatting to a mate of mine and a Swindon fan who's seen him a lot more this season than I have. Um, and just the signings, okay, a lot of loanies and a lot's been made of that, but they've all settled into the squad very well. They all do look a cut above a lot of what League One's got to offer. And he's playing the football which Paolo De Canio played, which is passing football, which can be detrimental in League One because of the state of some of the pitches but Swindon's pitch is excellent and for example the game against QPR a couple of weeks ago we, we passed them off the pitch for a lot of the game uh, Right, last point on our bulletin then managerial sack race what, what, what are the odds saying? No one's, no one's gone yet <laughs> No one's gone yet which is surprising because this time last year Andy Thorne had already gone from Coventry 
and John Sheridan had already gone from Chesterfield. They went off for about three games, if memory serves me correct. So I'm surprised, given our history as well on this podcast of uh, putting out a show and then someone getting sacked within 24 hours. Um, Chris Kawamia is obviously going to be one that'll be, well, I was going to say looking over his shoulder, but given his bottom, he's not nowhere to look other than up now, unfortunately. Um, James Beattie at Accrington Stanley, they were always going to have a difficult season. If you go by the bookies, they were favourites as well. And, you know, they've got not got much going for him. He's got no experience as well. And I suppose a lot of managers in League Two don't necessarily have that much experience. But maybe, having said that, there'll probably be someone completely out of the blue. Or maybe probably, someone like a team who are really underperforming, like AD Boothroyd, Northampton not doing particularly great. I don't know. Yeah. Watch this space. He might be quite a good good bet. Yeah, I'll put money on that as well. I mean, I am surprised. I wouldn't mind putting money. I don't know who, but I wouldn't mind putting money on by the time the next show comes out. So in seven or eight days time Mark when you're sat back here depending on who is sat around the desk with you if you're talking about someone who's been sacked finally well uh, watch this space right I'm going to wear going to try and ring Jim just before we end the show I believe he's on a train he's on a train well this is only going to end badly isn't oh, it oh no it's not going to happen it's going to go straight to voicemail I can tell this and your calling is temporarily unavailable please try later well that's alright let's ring Dave he'll be you know, just about to enjoy Elton John for example shall we try Try him. Maybe we'll get some live music to end the show. We'll either, yeah, we'll either hear absolutely nothing distorted. Either his phone will be off because he's lost all his battery, or we're about to get a wonderful rendition of Rocket Man. God, it's actually ringing. <laughs> Didn't think this would happen. No. I think I'm going to leave it there. That, that was Rocket. That wasn't planned. That was actually Rocket Man in the background. I'm sure of it. I did not expect him to answer. <laughs> right, we'll speak to him about that next week. We're back in seven days' time. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.